Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. In this episode sponsored by DECRA, I'm joined by Dr. Matt Reed to talk about Zen Alpha. Dr. Reed has been using Zen Alpha for about a year now, so it was great to be able to pick his brain and hear about some of the insight he's gained on using this new option for procedural sedation. We've talked about procedural sedation several times on the podcast, and it truly has so many applications from radiographs to small procedures and more. It can help keep pets stressed down and increase efficiency in the clinic. So I love the idea of having an additional option. I also bear my soul a little bit in this episode about how some of the effects of alpha twos make me a little uneasy at times like low heart rates, despite my patient oftentimes being perfectly fine. We talk about that in the context of how Zen Alpha differs from other Alpha 2s in terms of parameters like heart rate and blood pressure. My guest, Dr. Matt Reed, has practiced as a board-certified anesthesiologist at MedVet Columbus since 2018 and also serves as the anesthesia specialty leader for all MedVet locations. Dr. Reed earned his Doctor of Veterinary Medicine degree with distinction from Western College of Veterinary Medicine in Saskatoon, Canada in 1998. Following vet school, Dr. Reed remained at the WCVM and completed a residency in anesthesia and analgesia and a Master's of Veterinary Science in Wildlife Anesthesia. Dr. Reed taught at the University of Georgia from 2001 to 2003 and became board certified with the American College of Veterinary Anesthesia and Analgesia in 2002 before returning to Canada to develop and supervise the anesthesia departments in two large specialty hospitals in Toronto and Calgary. In 2010, he joined the Faculty of Veterinary Medicine at the University of Calgary, where he taught veterinary students, conducted clinical and educational research, practiced clinical anesthesia, and served as assistant dean for admissions. He's also held adjunct professor appointments at St. Matthews University, the University of Calgary, and The Ohio State University. Dr. Reed enjoys sharing his passion and enthusiasm for anesthesia and pain management and has delivered more than 100 invited lectures and workshops across North America and around the world, and has co-edited two popular textbooks, Small Animal Regional Anesthesia and Analgesia and Veterinary Clinical Skills. He's received numerous teaching awards and was awarded the Canadian Veterinary Medical Association Small Animal Practitioner Award in 2018 in recognition of his efforts toward improving the welfare of patients through better anesthesia and pain management. He was fantastic to talk to and full of great information. Let's go ahead and get into our episode. Well, thank you everyone for tuning into this episode. I am joined by Dr. Matt Reed, anesthesiologist extraordinaire, and we're going to talk about Zen Alpha. Dr. Reed, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah. Hi. Thanks for having me. Uh, Really happy to be here today and talk about one of my new favorite drugs. Yes. I'm so excited to learn more about it. I mean, anything to have additional sedation options for some of these critters, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, one of the neat things is Got a few new drugs hitting the market right now as, as veterinarians on the anesthesia and pain management side of things. So it's kind of an exciting time to be in practice as a small animal practitioner. So it's always nice to have more options and to have some different things that we can learn how to use more appropriately in our patients and ultimately serve our patients better. Absolutely. So when we're thinking of Zen Alpha, 
Let's talk about some of the technical aspects. How do we classify this sedative? Where, where do we put it in our groupings? And what are some of the key pharmacological features that we should make sure we're remembering? Yeah, we can definitely start with that. So Zen Alpha is the trade name of a new product that's being marketed by Decra here in the United States. Zen Alpha is a combination of two drugs, one of which most small animal practitioners are already familiar with, that being metatomidine. Metatomidine is an alpha-2 agonist, so that's a drug that is typically used for sedation, muscle relaxation. It offers some degree of analgesia and pain management as well. Metatomidine's been around for quite a long time. Um, most of us are familiar with it in either the kind of trade name form, Domator, or the, the generic forms that are now available. Um, and in this case, an alpha is the combination of metatomidine with a, a newer molecule called vatinoxin. The molecule itself is not new. It's been around and researched for, you know, the better part of the last 15 to 20 years in different species. But what's unique about this formulation, the Zen Alpha, is the combination of metatomidine and vatinoxin. And the vatinoxin, in this case, is an alpha-2 peripheral antagonist. And what that means is it's going to block um, mainly the receptors, the alpha-2 receptors in blood vessels. And the combination basically removes the systemic effects that we see with the metatomidine when it's first being distributed and absorbed in the body. So for anybody who's used to using metatomidine for sedation in dogs and cats uh, and other species, alpha-2s of all sorts, whether we're talking about xylazine or romifidine or detomidine, we're all familiar as veterinarians and technicians with the concept of hypertension after we initially give these drugs. And then we get a reflex bradycardia where the heart rate slows down as a result of that increase in vascular resistance that causes the blood pressure to rise, which then causes the heart rate to kind of reflexively drop to decrease the workload on the heart. So with that, you know, the alpha twos as a class of drug have all kinds of benefits. You know, the sedation is very reliable. The analgesia is very good for a lot of procedures. We get muscle relaxation. But unfortunately, with that initial increase in blood pressure and the decrease in heart rate, there's a whole population of patients that, you know, we try to avoid using alpha-2s in. And to be honest, there's a lot of practitioners and team members that are a little bit gun-shy about seeing those low heart rates. And therefore, they don't use metatomidine or the, the isomer, the, the dexmetatomidine now, the more purified form in their patients. And that's a real kind of tragedy in a way, because this is a really useful class of drugs that we can see tremendous benefits for. Um, so with the vatinoxin now in combination with it in this product, Zen Alpha, what we're seeing is, you know, less effects of that metatomidine as it's circulating. You don't get the same degree of hypertension initially. You don't get that same prolonged duration of bradycardia. So for anybody who's, you know, a little bit worried about seeing those adverse cardiovascular effects, this drug definitely allows you to take advantage of the alpha two advantages without, you know, having to deal with those, you know, so-called side effects, even though they're not really side effects, they're just effects. They happen every time we give it. So it's not something out of the ordinary or unexpected. We just, we know they're coming, but now we can kind of mitigate those changes to some degree and, and use this drug in a different group of patient population. Sure. And yeah, I think you can classify me as one of those that I don't love the reflex bradycardia. I work with one of the other doctors in our practice. She loves dexmedetomidine and metatomidine. And 
so she has, you know, kind of gotten me back on board where I'm like, okay, I'm comfortable. But as I was listening to you explain it, you said, you know, the blood pressure goes up and then we get this reflex bradycardia. And then my brain said, yep. And then my blood pressure goes up and <laughs> it's this cycle. So I love the idea of having something available where we can get those really positive effects that we get with alpha twos, because like I said, she's, she's brought me, brought me back around. I'm, I'm much more comfortable and, and a believer. And I like to use these a lot more than I used to. And I think I would like them even more if there wasn't that profound bradycardia and some of these effects that we see with the, the other alpha twos. Yeah. And in our experience and certainly looking at the research that's been done with this combination before it came to market, it doesn't completely eliminate bradycardia. You're still going to see, um, you know, the initial five minutes or so the heart rate is going to go down. Um, but then it doesn't tend to hold there for as long. It kind of starts to rebound in the five to 10 minute range. And then from 10 minutes onward, um, you know, you might see the heart rate of a, a dog with kind of standard doses in the seventies instead of, you know, the forties or fifties. So, you know, for anybody who, you know, if you're starting with a heart rate of hundred, 120, that's a, that's a little bit easier pill to swallow is, is having the heart rate in that 70 to 80 range rather than 40 to 50. And, you know, that there's still some central effects of the drug that, you know, you have to deal with the, the centrally mediated bradycardia um, is still part of using an alpha two like this, this metatomidine. Um, but the cool thing about vatinoxin is it does not cross the blood brain barrier. There's been multiple studies in dogs as well as some other species where they are able to actually test for the level of vatinoxin in the central nervous system, both in the brain and the spinal cord. And the levels are very, very low compared to the systemic levels. So what that means is that it's not really having an effect centrally to reverse or, or prevent the action of the metatomidine in terms of the analgesia. Um, you know, lowering the doses of other drugs and things like that. So it's a very specific antagonist, which is why it's, it's really clever. And it's really neat to see it come to market because as anesthesiologists, we've been reading about this, this generic molecule called MK467 for a number of years. And now it actually has a drug name and it's in, in a product that we can actually use clinically in our patients. So um, it's, yeah, it's hats off to those great colleagues and researchers who've been working behind the scenes to bring it to market for all of us to take advantage of. Absolutely. And remind me a little bit about the pharmacokinetics with vatinoxin. I feel pretty comfortable with the, with alpha twos and, and how they're functioning, but when we bring vatinoxin into it, especially with it, not crossing the blood brain barrier, what, what role is it playing in the sedation that we're seeing in our patients? So there's a lot of nuance around that, and, and we're still learning more and more as different studies are being undertaken. Um, one of the main differences is the route of administration. So Zen-Alpha is labeled for intramuscular use only. It's not meant okay. to be used by other routes of administration. So intramuscular administration in dogs, I should say, right at the outset, um, this particular product is not labeled for cats, and we can come back and talk about why in a, in a few minutes. But to answer your question, with the combination, if you give this drug intramuscularly, the vatinoxin, it is definitely affecting how quickly the metatomidine is absorbed because you're not getting any local vasoconstriction at the site of injection. So because of that, the metatomidine that you're giving has a more rapid onset um, because it's just more available for the, the blood supply to absorb and take systemically through the body. So 
that's that's kind of the first part of it. And kind of the spinoff from that is some of the other drugs that have been looked at being administered with the Zen Alpha have found that the absorption of those is is more rapid as well. So those are kind of things we're starting to learn and, and appreciate in terms of how we're combining them. The other thing with the vatnox and, and, and metatomidine being injected together is that it changes the, the clearance, it changes everything, the volume of distribution of the metatomidine as well. So all of the pharmacokinetics are a little bit different than what we're used to using with, with regular metatomidine. Um, so with that, the cardiac output is better maintained, the delivery of those molecules to the liver to be you know eliminated and transformed into inactive forms are, are all different. So Really, you know, this is a different drug in a way, um, even though we're using it in similar ways that we might with traditional metatomidine, everything's a little bit different. And, and I think that's one of the main kind of take homes for your audience is, you know, we, we have a certain amount of knowledge already about Zen Alpha, but we're also going to continue to learn more about it in the future as, as we start to use it off label in combination with some other sedatives, for example. Um, I know other people are using it as a pre-medication now and taking patients to general anesthesia and, and maintaining on isoflurane and sevoflurane. So like any drug that hits the market, there's a certain comfort that we have in the first kind of year or so as we start to get familiar with it. But as we become more familiar and, and more confident with it, then people are going to start using it more extra label. And, and at that point, you know, some of the things that we initially think may change over time, but yeah, at this point, it's a, it's a really unique combination for procedural sedation. And that brings up a couple things. I just want to clarify with you. Um, like you mentioned this, this drug is labeled for procedural sedation at this point, it's not labeled for general anesthesia. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah, that's hundred percent correct. And then thinking about procedural sedation, when I when I do procedural sedation, oftentimes I use a combination of drugs. Zen Alpha is kind of already this combination, but do we know anything about, you know, is this something that we add Torb or Hydro or Midazolam or combining this with any other drugs? Yeah. So right now the label is to use Zen Alpha on its own uh, as the, the sole agent for intramuscular use in dogs, again, for procedural sedation type type things. So great for taking radiographs, uh, minor surgical procedures, ultrasounds, uh, intradermal skin testing, you know, those types of things with any drug that, especially the alpha twos, I would say there's always a little bit of a risk, I would say with using them by themselves. Part of that is because of the nature of how they work. So you're having to overcome the patient's natural sympathetic tone for these drugs to work centrally in the part of the brain where they actually are having the majority of their, their central effects. And at that location, they're overriding the norepinephrine neurotransmission. And, and that's where you get the sedation and the analgesia from. Now, if you've got a really painful patient, if you've got a very anxious, stressed, angry, you know, if a patient is feeling threatened, um, you know, whether it's a dog or a cat or a horse or a cow, it doesn't matter. Um, any patient in the veterinary realm that we sedate with an alpha two by itself, there's always a risk that the drug isn't going to have either the desired effect or all of the effect that we're anticipating. And uh, in those cases, the sedation may or may not work very well. So as we know with other species, alpha twos are often combined with an opioid, with a benzodiazepine like midazolam or other agents just to help, you know, with the consistency of the response to get a, a more reliable sedation, especially if you're working with potentially dangerous animals like zoo animals or what have you. So 
Um, I would say at this point, you know, when you look at the literature, the Zen Alpha combination of, of metatomidine and vatinox, and not this specific Zen Alpha that we have on the market right now necessarily, because different ratios of vatinoxin and metatomidine have been tested to find the ideal ratio, but there are multiple studies combining it with butorphanol as the main opioid, both for sedation as well as potentially going on and, and maintaining under anesthesia with something like sevoflurane after a propofol induction. So there's quite a bit of literature looking at it in combination with butorphanol. I haven't seen a whole lot in terms of the other opioids, and I haven't seen a lot in terms of combining it with midazolam at this point, but I'm sure there are studies ongoing and we'll know more about that in, in the coming months and years. Absolutely. That's one of the exciting things about these drugs is then more uses and information come out and it opens a whole new world. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's where a lot of the excitement and uh, in the field comes from is, is just having these options available to us. So you've been using Zen Alpha for a little while now. What have you found to be some really great ways to use it where you've had good success in your patients? Yeah, so we started using it late last summer, kind of early fall when it first uh, came to the US market. Um, I'll be honest, we've been primarily using it on label, so I can't speak much to the off label use of it. We've been somewhat conservative with, with using it in our patients. So we've been using it on our surgical receiving service for sedation on patients that are coming in that need, you know, orthopedic exams, follow up radiographs for, you know, post TPLO, uh, RADS, things like that. We've been using it in our dermatology service for intradermal skin testing. Our radiology service has been using it for ultrasounds and radiographs. So we're kind of using it for what it's kind of designed for, for procedural sedation of, you know, 30 to 40 minute type duration in, in dogs that we're interested in just getting a little bit of additional kind of liquid cooperation for whatever <laughs> reason, whether it's because we know the pet already from past experience and now they're coming back for follow-up radiographs or if it's a first timer where we don't really know them just to ease, you know, their experience in the hospital, as well as, you know, make our, our team members more comfortable and, and more effective in the job that they're doing. So we're using it for mainly procedural sedation, again, using it intramuscular as the label describes, and we've kind of been working between the label doses and roughly half of the label dose. So going off label, just in terms of decreasing the amount we're giving, you know, in a lot of cases, if the pets are coming in on Again, this is off-label use combining it, but if they come in on trazodone or gabapentin, for example, you know, we may just need a little bit of help. We don't need it as, as a, a really heavy sedative. So we might use it IM in those pets just to get the uh, additional restraint or analgesia that we need for it. So typically getting very good responses, very reliable. Uh, it's definitely a fast onset drug, uh, which is what it's kind of being known for. So, you know, within five to seven minutes after administration into a, a hind leg muscle, those dogs are going to be nicely sedated for us. And then typically it's lasting again, as described somewhere in the 30 to 45 minute range, um, probably half the time, I would say we end up reversing them with some adipamazole, which is consistent again with the literature. When you look at the studies that have been done, roughly half of them end up needing reversal. So. Yeah, very reliable. Uh, everybody's very happy with the effects of it. The sedation levels are appropriate. And the kind of things we're monitoring are, are also what you would expect. So the heart rates do go down initially, and then they start to rebound a little bit. So again, you know, 60, 70, instead of 30 to 40, we're not measuring blood pressure consistently. 
but I can say on the ones that we have put a blood pressure cuff on, they're not super hypertensive. So as expected, their color's good. We don't need a lot of supplemental oxygen. You know, their, their capillary refill time and everything looks good. They, they just seem to be at a good place, uh, which again, when you look at the literature is kind of what that combination offers. So I would say very consistent with what the manufacturer and the distributor DECRA has, has been teaching us when, when we're introducing it to different hospitals. And yeah, overall, the, uh, the experience has been very positive. Everyone in our hospital is very happy with it. Perfect. Perfect. And just to clarify, when you say you have to reverse about half of them with Adapamazole, what dose of Adapamazole are you using? So we're using the label dose, uh, which is basically half the volume of the initial dose that we used. Okay. Um, so we're just because going on a metatomidine, basis. not dexmedetomidine. That's right. Yeah, okay. exactly. Yeah. So adapamazole is available from multiple sources. So most people have access to it already. And, you know, again, when you look at the the pricing of the product, it works out to be a little bit more, at least in our hospital with the way that we price things somewhere around the 20%, uh, maybe 22% more expensive than dexmedetomidine for us based on how our hospital system is pricing the drugs. But because we're having to reverse them less, then it ends up working out to be a little bit less expensive than dextomator. So it really just depends on the individual hospital as far as what that might look like and what kind of markup um, you're going to have to use to put that drug on your shelf. But for the most part, I would say the the cost to owners on average is is virtually identical or, or a little bit less with the Zen Alpha. And again, it's just the nature of the, the volumes that you're using and the number of times you have to reverse them. That's really encouraging to know that it, you know, it can be also be used really economically kind of along those lines with cost to owners. Some of that's going to be related to the volume that we're using, which it sounds like if I'm understanding you correctly, you're mostly using the label dose and then cutting that back a little bit in some patients to see how that goes. You know, when I think of these procedural sedations, I think of variations in the dose, just like you're talking about, because there's some variation in the level of sedation we're going to get out of each individual patient. Are you seeing that same variability with Zen Alpha? Are you getting a pretty uniform sedation? Do you feel like? Yeah, I would say in our experience, we're seeing pretty uniform sedation. There's very few cases that have not gone down predictably. Some of them go through it a little quicker. I would say the recovery side is probably a little bit more variable. Some of them are starting to recover more spontaneously sooner than, than others. But certainly the, the induction of the sedation, the onset of recumbency of them lying down, not lifting their head, not responding to sound, those kind of things that we look at when we're doing sedation, I would say is very reliable and very consistent within those first few minutes. And then again, you know, the variability on the individual is usually on the other side. It's just how, how quickly they're going through it. And again, that comes back to the pharmacokinetics of the combination when you give it intramuscular. So because the vatinoxin is changing the kinetics and, and making the, the metatomidine more available for distribution and metabolism, the body, even though you're giving a higher dose of the drug initially, when you work it out on a, on a body surface area and convert it to a microgram per kilo dose, it sounds like a lot of metatomidine when you actually look at those label doses compared to what somebody might be using with metatomidine or dexmedetomidine on its own. That dose that you're giving is, is significantly more than you're used to, but because they're going through it much quicker and that drug is being delivered to the liver, yeah, it's, it's just a different experience. So even though alpha-2 is the dose-dependent 
uh, effects are not necessarily on the heart rate or the blood pressure. It's actually just the duration of effect. Even though you would look at that dose and think it's a lot and it's going to stick around for a long time because of the kinetics uh, are being adjusted with the vatinoxin. Yeah, you just don't see that. And they actually go through it much more quickly than a standard dose of metatomidine or dexmedetomidine. So those spontaneous recoveries are, are definitely a convenient thing for a lot of our services. Yeah, absolutely. And when you are reversing these guys, are you, are you doing that just because, you know, maybe the procedure got done quicker than expected, or are you seeing some that have some lingering sedation? Yeah, it's mainly honestly just for convenience to the, uh, to the pets owners. Yeah. If, if we're running outpatient services like ultrasound or our surgery receiving, for example, or dermatology, you know, once things are wrapping up and we've given them, you know, 15, 20 minutes to recover spontaneously. And if they're still a little bit sleepy or a little bit too recumbent to return to the owner's care, um, if they're going to be an outpatient and going home, then we'll just safely reverse them with some adipamazole IM. And um, that way we know that, that everything's taken care of before they leave our care. That works. That works. I love the idea of spontaneous mm-hmm. recovery or, you know, if we do have a quick, quick procedure, having the option there to just kind of call it early. Yep. The beauty of alpha twos. That's what everybody knows from every species is there. Anything reversible is uh, definitely convenient for us. Are there any side effects that you're noticing when with Zen alpha? I know we've talked about this a little bit already. And you said that first five minutes, we see that reflex bradycardia and that blood pressure has overall been okay. Anything that you feel like practitioners using Zen alpha for the first time should look for, should be aware of. Um, nothing specific. I think if you're already an alpha two user and you're used to using dexmedetomidine or metatomidine in your hospital, again, you know, if you're going to use it on label, I don't think there's a whole lot of surprises for you coming your way. That's certainly been our experience in the, in the last few months of us using it. It looks very similar to other alpha twos in terms of the sedation and the muscle relaxation and those types of things. Again, you know, I would encourage anybody who's using it for the first time to do some monitoring. If you have the ability to put an ECG on before sedation and and get a baseline and then have it on during the actual sedation so that you can see what it's doing and appreciate, you know, the heart rate difference, that would be great. If you have the ability to put a blood pressure cuff on a limb, you know, just be able to monitor the difference between what you're normally seeing with your patients with other products versus the, the Zen Alpha. Same thing with a pulse oximeter. If, if you have a pulse ox that's not historically been working for you on a, on a sedated patient because of the vasoconstriction, you may find that it actually works okay in your Zen Alpha sedated dogs, simply because you don't get the same degree of vasoconstriction. So it is going to be a little bit different. So I would say anybody who's using it you know, for the first time or, or the first few times or even longer, it never hurts to do monitoring during procedural sedation, but especially when you're getting a feel for what the drug looks like and what it can do. Absolutely. You know, those types of things should be well tolerated by the patient and it'll definitely give you kind of a behind the scenes info on, on what it looks like respiration wise, they breathe fine. There's multiple studies that have looked at, you know, blood gas values and things like that. And it really doesn't change the levels of CO2 or oxygen in the body to any degree. So it never hurts in a, in a heavily sedated patient to do some flow by oxygen. If you have the ability to, with you know, just a loose fitting mask over their muzzle, for example, if you're not working on the head, it never hurts to supplement them with oxygen, but behind the scenes, there really aren't a lot of side effects that way either. But again, as we start getting into off label use, uh, extra label use with combinations with different drugs, 
that's where you start to, to see some changes. So certainly in the studies that have been done, combining it with butorphanol, you do start to see a little bit more hypoventilation. And that's just the unmasking of the opioid doing what they do as well, which is decreasing your respiration and ventilation capacity and things like that. So as I said earlier, we're going to learn a lot more about it in the next couple of years as more and more people are using it in different ways. But at this point, if you're using it on label, I don't think you're going to run into any real surprises or, or side effects per se. Do you feel like that's carried through as far as being fairly predictable and not a whole lot of unpredictable side effects when people have used it for general anesthesia? Yeah, that's a great question. And probably one, again, we're going to learn more about in the future. There are a couple studies that were published last year, um, looking at it after it kind of came to market, they came through the, the publication realm, looking at what the effects are when patients are taken to a full general anesthesia and, and being maintained on, on sevoflurane. In those cases, there is more hypotension. Um, it's, I wouldn't say refractory to treatment. There's another study looking at the use of dobutamine, uh, norepinephrine or phenylephrine to offset the effects of that hypotension. And, and really, I guess we shouldn't be surprised by the results of these, these studies and, and these experiences that some colleagues are having in practice. Because we're used to the hypertension and the vasoconstrictive effects of the metatomidine, if we premedicate a dog with you know metatomidine or dexmedetomidine, we know those effects are going to be present for a certain period of time, depending on the dose. And because of that, they kind of offset the vasodilation from the gas anesthetic, and they tend to maintain our pressures better under anesthesia. With Xenalpha, it makes sense pharmacologically, if we're not getting that vasoconstriction to the same degree, that increased vascular resistance, we're just not going to see that offsetting of the vasodilation of the inhalant. So when people are starting to use it extra label and using it as a pre-med, um, they are seeing hypotension under anesthesia. I've heard, you know, some people just anecdotally talking about just how low the pressures can go, at least from a clinical standpoint, when you read the literature, you can use dobutamine, you can use norepinephrine to offset it, uh, as you would normally do for hypotension under anesthesia. So we do still have treatments available to us. But again, it, it kind of comes back to the, the use of the drug and, and what kind of comfort level people have and and really what it's designed for. And at least with the current formulation being a one to 20 ratio of metatomidine to vatnoxin, you know, that's a good ratio for what it needs to be for sedation, which is, you know, the on-label indication for the drug after IM use. So if you start using it intravenously, for example, if you start using it in combination with potent anesthetics like propofol or sevoflurane, you're going to see things differently. And certainly the literature shows us that intravenous and IM use of, of this combination is different. And again, it has to do with that initial distribution of the drugs, the molecules, the uh, pharmacokinetics are different in both situations. So this is where the nuance of this drug, I think is going to be really fascinating. And there's going to be a lot of, I guess, follow-up information and new information coming out at vet meetings, probably for the next five to 10 years, because as with other drugs, you know, they all always have kind of a dose dependent effect and side effect profile that once we kind of get a handle on, it's, it's easy to remember what's going to happen. But at least with this product, based on the formulation, it is different depending on the route of administration and with the drug interactions. So, you know, I think we'll probably land on a, a use for it in the future where we know exactly what's happening. But right now, we, we're just not there yet. There's still so much to learn about it, which is, again, as, a, as an anesthesiologist who likes to 
to learn things and to teach things. This is, uh, this is going to be a great few years coming up. Absolutely. We can't learn all the nuances and any new information until we start getting out there and using it. So it'll be really exciting to hear the additional information that comes down the line. Um, Cause really any product, you know, any additional option that can be used for procedural sedation is amazing. Cause like you mentioned, doing these x-rays or, you know, a quick procedure, I'm thinking in GP, sometimes what I'm talking to owners about is, you know, if we're talking about sedation and they say, oh no, like he'll be fine, just go for it. And I say, well, yeah, you know, he'll be fine today. But then when you come back, it's going to be a different story and, you know, they're going to be a lot more stressed. So to have these options for procedural sedation is really exciting. And it's, it, I love that we're, we're getting this into clinics and using it so that we can figure out all the nuances and all the different uses for it. Yeah. And one of those areas that I think we'll still see a lot of new information coming from is, is the use of it in cats. So um, yeah. I alluded to that earlier, but I forgot to come back to it, but this product is, is not labeled for cats. Um, the ratio, the one to 20 between the metatomidine and vatinoxin is not appropriate for cats. So when you're asking about hypotension, that is the one thing that is seen if you give this formulation as, as the ratio, as it comes in the bottle to a cat, the studies that have been done show that it actually causes a, a pretty good amount of hypotension, low blood pressure, just because of that, that vasodilation, they don't get the vasoconstriction and it kind of goes the other way. So there will likely be a formulation for cats in the future with a more appropriate ratio. What that ratio is, there's ongoing research to kind of find that right balance so that we can use it clinically and, and safely in our patients. But at this point in time, the recommendation from the manufacturer, as well as other specialists who've done the work on it behind the scenes, is to not use this, the Zen Alpha in cats for that very reason. Again, I'm sure somebody's going to use it off-label, and that's that's up to them, I suppose. But at this point, yeah, the, the best practice is to probably avoid it in that species. We still have other options we can use that aren't going to cause those types of side effects. Absolutely. I mean, cats are their own little little cats march to the cats beat of cats. their own. <laughs> yeah, they do their own thing. And so, you know, I'm sure we'll, we'll find the ratio for them because, you know, certainly um, being able to sedate cats for procedures is great, but with pre-medding them before we come into the clinic and things like that, I feel like we're getting a lot farther with cats than we used to in the past. Yeah. And the one thing about cats as well is they don't respond to the same degree as dogs do. They don't get the same amount of vascular resistance increases therefore they don't get the same increase in blood pressure and that's why their heart rates don't generally slow down as much as a dog there are definitely species differences when it comes to the alpha twos and cats are kind of on on one side versus dogs that have more of a profound response so yeah i mean we, we definitely have other options for cats if, if we're worried about their their blood pressure and their heart rates under sedation we certainly have safe combinations currently and that's why i say you know probably the safe thing at this point is to not use zen alpha um, for the known reasons why it shouldn't be used in a cat and then get into trouble when we all know what's going to happen ahead of time. So we certainly, as you say, we've got lots of oral options and intramuscular options that we can take advantage of right now. So cats are not, they're not suffering for lack of options. I would agree. Absolutely. Well, having used this drug a little bit and seen what it does and used it in different scenarios, what are you hoping to see as we do develop this acumen of information going forward? What what kind of research do you hope to maybe do yourself or see done in order to get more information about Zen Alpha? 
That's a really good question. I think, you know, where, when you look at the literature right now in the last five, six years, a lot of the questions that are being asked are, are just very simple ones. You know, what does the use of the vatinoxin in combination do to the analgesia? You know, how does it affect somatic analgesia? How does it affect visceral analgesia? So, you know, testing dogs with toe pinches and you know, little balloons in the rectum to test as a, as a visceral pain model. You know, what, what does that combination do to the pain um, side of things? Um, you know, how does it cross the blood brain barrier? If at all, you know, how do we know for sure that it's just a peripheral antagonist? What does it do? As I mentioned earlier, talking about hypotension, what, what does it do to the use of dobutamine or norepinephrine? You know, can those drugs still be used as they normally would be? So a lot of the work that's being done here is, is really essential work uh, to our understanding of the drug. They're answering very basic questions that are you know, very clinically relevant, which I think is fantastic. You know, we're, we're not talking about just esoteric questions that are only relevant to a, a hardcore researcher. We're answering questions that practitioners and, and technicians need to know if they're using the drugs. So I guess for me as a practicing clinician, really, you know, I'm super interested in just learning these things. I think the combination with other agents is inevitable. So I think, you know, learning more about what the Zen Alpha does when it's combined with different class of drugs like midazolam, you know, what does that do to onset? What does it do to duration of effect, overall efficacy? You know, how does it affect reversibility? You know, those things that we all need to know. Any, anybody using a drug in practice knows that there are certain things that are just essential to using it safely and, and effectively. And I think those are the kind of questions that are going to come out in the next few years. And I think that's the really exciting part is, you know, we're as much as we need to understand the pharmacokinetics and all those kind of behind the scenes, invisible effects of the drug, there's a lot of very clinically relevant things that we can learn as well. And I think that's where a lot of experts and, and clinicians are going to kind of come together and share their experience and knowledge, which again, is essential for all of us using it effectively. Absolutely. I, I love the idea of all this clinically relevant research, like you say, of you know, how, how we can really take it and put it to use for the benefit of our patients. Of course, we want to know what's going on behind the scenes and why things work the way that they do. But ultimately it comes back to how, how is our patient going to benefit from this? How is our, our practice, our team, how's everyone going to benefit from this? So really exciting to think about some of the research and what we're going to learn in the, in the upcoming years. Yeah. And I think, you know, taking that one step further to the client, I mean, we have so many clients whose primary concerns when they bring a pet into one of our hospitals is the fact that they may need sedation or they may need anesthesia. Um, you know, they're less concerned about the procedure itself and more worried about the anesthetic event and what that might do. They may have had a bad experience previously with their pet or a previous pet or a friend telling a story. So, you know, I think the more that we can learn about some of these newer drugs and their safety profiles, it just gives us more confidence talking to them and counseling them so that when we're having those informed consent conversations, we can be very confident in, in what we're saying and, and further, you know, build that trust with our client and, and solidify that relationship that's so important to all of us right now. So, you know, this is just another example of 20 years ago, anesthesia was kind of a, a means to an end. So it was something that was inevitable. You had to do it to be able to do the other reason why the patient's there. But you know, we're really fortunate to be living in this age where the different options we have available, the supportive methods, providing oxygen, the easy monitoring that we can do now with various technologies, you know, anesthesia is now an integral part of that patient's care. And it doesn't have to be a scary 
endeavor. Uh, it doesn't have to be a really intimidating part of the process for our clients. So we can use that as a practice builder as well. So all these things coming together, I think it's a, it's a great time for all of us in practice. Absolutely. I would agree. And I look so forward to learning more. Dr. Reed, this has been great. I really appreciate you joining me, all the information in this conversation, as well as our last conversation on our vet to vet. It sounds like there, you know, there has been more information that's come forth, even in the short period of time since our last conversation. So thank you for coming on the podcast to talk about it with me. Oh, it's my great pleasure. It's been great chatting with you again. I hope your confidence in, improves a little bit. I hope you can try out the, the products and Alpha. And yeah, I think uh, happy to keep the conversation with you and check back in another year and see where we're all at. That sounds great. That sounds great. Yes. I Like I said, making more friends with Alpha 2s by the day. I, I don't know. I just kind of got to a point where... I had some experiences that scared me off a little bit. And and fortunately, my colleague has been super encouraging. And I, I forgot how much I really, I really like these drugs and they're very useful. So yes, and having another option to, you know, to widen that even more is, is great. Awesome. Well, definitely keep me posted on your progress. And yeah, we'll talk again. That sounds great. Thanks again. All right. Cheers. Thanks. All right, everyone, thank you for joining us. I hope you got some valuable insight on Zen Alpha from this talk. Thank you to Decra for making this episode possible and to Dr. Reed for all of his insight. For more episodes like this, click on the education tab on the Vetfolio website. As always, we'd love to hear your input on this talk as well as ideas for topics you'd like to hear from us in the future. Feel free to reach out to me at dvm at vetfolio.com. You can also visit my Facebook page at Dr. Cassie DVM. And you can find me on LinkedIn. And remember, if one animal is better off because of you today, it's a great day.